strangers and welcome to the strange horizons podcast for april 29th 2019 i'm your host and fearless leader anaya lay this week we're bringing you the nigeria special issue and this is one of two fiction pieces we have as well as some poetry the story you're about to hear is where the rain mothers are written by rafi Daliu, read by osan Izeyama. Rafit is a writer of weird and speculative African fiction. Her short stories have appeared in Omenana, Expound, Afro-SF Science Fiction by African Writers, and Queer Africa 2. You can learn more about her on her website, rafitaliu.com, and follow her on Twitter, at Rafita. And you're going to hear more about Osahan when we publish his upcoming story in May. Now. Settle in. Let's begin. Where the Rain Mothers Are by Rafiat Aliyu. First, their goosey seeds were roasted and ground in a paste. Derek worked slivers of onion sliced into half moons and pepper seeds into the paste, then pounded it some more. The dried white hibiscus flowers boiled in the water for a, with a little bit of salt were draining in weight. The nutty aroma of the soon-to-be-made soup infused the air in the kitchen and had carried over to the closest neighbors who lived slightly uphill. Garrick, when will you stop torturing us with your aromas? Agatha had yelled, poking her face out through her bedroom window. After nightfall, Garrick had replied. That was four hours ago. The best soups always took time, Dugu taught her that 48 years ago. She remembered Dugu's eyes, teary from the burning firewood. She remembered the other ingredients, smoked fish, dried shrimps, fermented locust beans, potash, and palm oil. Derek was not entirely sure Dugu would approve of the person she was cooking this soup for, but the cook was long dead. The past 240 years were categorized by location in her memories, each one bringing a new dish. She could never stay too long anywhere and much preferred the intrigues and secrets behind the walled cities to the mundane life of the farming and nomadic communities. Here in Saleh, the new city by the, white, by the likes of which had never existed before, Garrick had settled into normalcy with Nayi, Nayi of the gazelle-like legs and dimpled smile, who was due back home tonight after three weeks working on a floating pilar. In the early hours of the morning, Nayi would drag her weary feet through the door and first enjoy the taste of a lovingly made soup. In the heavy bottom clay pots, Garrick heated a splash of palm oil till she saw tendrils of smoke and added even more onions to fry. Her concentration was jarred by a solid bang. Garrick felt it in her bones before she heard it, so it seemed like two loud bangs instead of one. She had spent such a long time running away that she immediately looked for a way out. There was none. The open-roofed kitchen was enclosed on three sides, the fourth being the hard rock of the hills that surrounded Southern Saleh. Behind her was the open door that led deeper into the house, but the intruders were already there. Two of them crowded into the kitchen, cornering Garrick. Where is she? One of them asked. Their faces were veiled and their eyes shielded with dark glasses, tall limbs draped in midnight blue clothes. They were human and they had weapons. 
On each of their right arms, three raised parallel lines inlaid with three half circles ran vertically from elbow to wrist. There was no one who lives in Ghats that did not know Ledaj. Gerak recognized the symbol of his criminal empire. If one didn't live or make do in a neighborhood that paid direct homage to him, they lived in one where thugs murdered themselves after Ledaj. She put her hands up in front of her and interlaced her index fingers, the universal sign for truth. I am alone in this house. Yoda intruder silently lifted his gun. The long mouth of the weapon was trained at her head. Garrick frowned. Where is the girl? The one who had spoken first asked again. I said I don't know, Garrick repeated, calmly gesturing with her outstretched hands. I am telling you the truth. I am alone. We don't have time, the one holding the gun whispered. There was another loud bang. Garrick fell to the floor as the bullet tore through her. She heard their voices. I don't think she knew anything. It doesn't matter. Let's find the girl. The onions were burning. Laying there, Garrick thought about Nayu returning home to this. It was enough of the act. She sat up on the kitchen floor and rose to her feet. The intruders drew back in surprise. Another bullet hit her, but this time Garrick did not give them the benefit of thinking they had killed her. Get out! She ordered, water dripping down her hairline and from the holes they put in her. Devil woman! One of them called as they fled her hut. No doubt her neighbors heard the gunshots. The city police hardly came to Hell's Valley, but the local vigilantes would soon be at her doorstep. Questions that she was not ready to answer would be asked. Hussey claimed her, freezing Garrett to the spot and throwing her mind back to the past. She was once a young woman, leaving her clan's nest behind in the cover of the night. Poro pressed a smooth stone into her forehead. Flesh and bone gave way as it entered Garrett's skin, as the rain splashed down heavily around them. Call on me wherever you need to, Poro whispered hurriedly. Garrett came back to the present, knowing that precious moments had been wasted. At least her wounds had healed over now. In the room she and I shared, she tore open shelves and drawers and shut off the items that she cherished and held dear. There had been days when she kept her most precious items in a small brass calabash, always ready to flee. That the calabash was no longer packed and within reach was a testament to how comfortable Garrick had become in Saleh. She dragged the large wooden tongue from under the bed and flipped it open. Lying there, caught next to her calabash, was a small girl looking at her with widened eyes. How? Garrick said, dropping to her knees before the trunk. Please help me. So this was the one they had been looking for. Garrick had not even heard her enter the house. The oil she'd poured into the pot on the stove was burning. The one sweet smell turned bitter as Garrick lifted the child out of the trunk. The child held on, wrapping thin arm around Garrick's neck. It was only a short debate within her whether to help this child or not. Garrick had come of age among a clan that would never turn back on anyone who needed help, even if it came at the expense of their own comfort or safety. She was not only adding to her grand list of enemies, but from what she had seen, whoever was looking for this girl were ordinary humans. Of course, but help me first by getting that she rose to her feet and immediately started ordering the child about. No, the other one. The gold bracelet Nayi had bought for her at the Nomad Festival, sealed in a cloudy glass jars of multiple shades of green, brown, and blue. The shawl from the old man in Susu. Beaded necklaces from Kanem that were now a faded blue, riddled with holes. The palmol because that was hard to find here. Bit by bit, they hurriedly filled up her calabash. Before placing it on her head, Garrick wrapped it in a light blanket, the same one she had used the last couple of times she needed to disappear. 
By the eastern gutters, blessed men hawked freshly made foods day and night. Settled in a dingy guest, room, guest house room, Gary could see fire she'd started from this side of the city. Through the open window, she heard voices and hammering. Men crowded in front of the shuttered door on the opposite street. The arm that pounded on the door bore the same insignia as the one that had stormed into her home. She heard shouting about unpaid rent due to Ledage. They were everywhere. Garrick pulled back into the shadows until the commotion died away. She glanced at the girl. What would Ledage's men want with a child? Garrick watched the distant fire, aching for Nai and the meal she would never eat. Under any normal circumstance, Garrick could have lingered, taking her time to save her home, to say goodbye to every single object. But the child had stood next to her, waiting and watching. There had only been a minute spared to look over her home before she set it to flames. I wouldn't hurt you, Garrick had promised. Now, she imagined the child must be hungry. She called out to one of the blessed men. What would you like to eat? She asked the child. Millet porridge, she replied immediately. One steaming pole of porridge passed through the windowsill. It had tamarind and Hansy syrup for sweetness. Gary could smell it as easily as she could hear the blood rushing through the child's veins. The child did not seem at all affected by their surroundings, and that told Garrick a lot. She ate slowly, spooning the porridge and blowing on it before eating it. She chewed for much longer than was necessary, considering how little she lifted off the bowl. The porridge seller would have to wait long to get his bowl back. What is your name, child? Garrick asked. Mommy calls me Shu, she replied, blowing on a spoonful of porridge. Shushuya was a patron, associated with the dancers, mesmerists, and magicians, most of them from rank. So that's how you got in, Garrick mused out loud. She could guess the child was between seven and nine years old, from the short curls on her head. Not too young to learn how to walk like a shadow and bend oneself into impossible shapes in tight spaces. The children of Rang were capable of that and much more. You didn't tell me your name, Shu said. I am Garrick, she replied. Where is your mother now? They shot mommy like they shot you, Shu said as she ate. But she didn't get up. How come you did? Garrick glanced around the darkened room, even though it was empty. She drew close to where she sat and whispered in the child's ear. You must not tell anyone, she said. I am one of those that cannot die. The Bakirishi. It had been so long since she last honestly announced that. Possibly centuries in the capital this city was named after, before Wagadu fell. Baba spoke of you, she said, her eyes large. Your father? Garrick had to ask, because in this place, children were referred to anyone that was old enough to be their father by that term. That was the norm that was yet to change. Shu nodded and then looked down at the bowl in front of her. Garrick did not miss the way Shu's eyes became downcast at the mention of the person that her father had. Still, Garrick had to know. Would you like to go see your father? Shu shook her head no. Do you want to stay with me? Garrick asked. Her tongue pressed against the roof of her mouth as she waited for an answer. It was almost surprising the way relief flooded her when she replied in the affirmative. For most of her years outside the nest, Garrick had stayed with at least one human. This was marked the first time that companion would be a child. When she was done with the meal, Garrick passed the bowl back with extra coins. Her hand brushed against the folded piece of parchment she had tucked in the pocket of her billowing shift. It was from a newspaper Nai had gifted her several weeks ago. She knew Garrick did not miss any opportunity to practice reading. A family traveling south on their annual migration needed a short hire private cook.
Gerek had kept it because he was going on 13 years and he and her had been teasing about Gerek's youthful appearance had grown an edge. Increased experience had taught Gerek to never overstay her welcome. Even though she would have preferred not to leave Nae this way, Gerek had been preparing it. It was time now to get back to the Gerido family and tell them she couldn't leave behind the daughter she failed to mention during their first interview. The Doritos were an elderly couple, among the first families to settle in Saleh. They had already hired someone, but he was let go when Garrick showed up on their gate with Shu. They remembered the vegetables Garrick had preferred, had prepared in casina roots soaked in water, dried and drizzled in oil before being roasted. She served the roots, sliced thin, with a bit of gum vine syrup, so it had a sweet and sour flavor. Madame Gerido praised the taste endlessly. Surrounded by walls of clay topped with living thorns, their villa rested in the valley, a clear sign of prestige. People like Garrick, who had arrived at Saleh late, had to make do with building their homes on any flat surface on the hills. A wealthy family did not need to make trips to the markets. Instead, the market came to them. People selling a variety of products toured the neighborhood, calling out their wares by name. Garrick haggled from the confines of the mansion, the solid wooden gate between her and the merchants. It felt safe here, but still, Garrick kept a veil drawn low on her face. Goods and money were exchanged through a small opening in the gate. There were smoked meats, wild grains, packed spices, three different kinds of oils, the freshest vegetables and flowers. Some of it would go to the store for the journey, but the rest was for a farewell dinner. The villa had its own private well that pumped water through the building. The running water kept Garrett grounded as she cooked with Shu by her side. The child had a talent for sitting silently in corners. Sometimes, Shu disappeared like the deity she was named after, but Garrett always knew she was there. A lot of water flowed within humans, and it never lied. When the dinner arrived, Garrick listened to the conversation sailing in from the salon where the Geridos sat with their guests directly on the floor, four to five people eating from the same place. As they feasted on deep-fried pockets of eisen dough filled with onions, smoked mackerel, and three grapes she had picked herself, a griot sang about Saleh. Do you want to know the story of this place? Garrick asked Shu, handing her a pastry. Shu nodded, biting into the hot pocket and blowing. I was in a small village on the outskirts of Canem when I heard that a mysterious city had appeared with diabolical implements. What does diabolical mean? Shu asked. It means something no one has ever seen before, Garrick explained. Like the piler. People were frightened. There is nothing scary about a piler, Shu shook her head. She must have seen the mechanical beasts moving around since Sale, since she was old enough to work. Next, Garrick presented a four-grain mix fried in a precious palm oil and garnished with flowers of the adua tree and okra. This was served with gazelle, rubbed with pepper, and roasted over an open fire. Have you heard the bakisha back? one of the guests asked. Garrick stilled, wiped away the sudden wetness from her palms on her shift. Impossible, someone replied. One was spotted a few weeks back. They said they shot her and she just kept walking. It was in the dailies. I heard she fell off one of those hills. This sounded like Sajurido. Why do they keep crowding the Hez Valley? What I ran from Garrick's hairline down her back. Continue the story, Shu said, drawing Garrick out of her eavesdropping. Shu, can you do me a favor? Garrick asked. Can you get the dailies from me from Sar study? 
Don't let anyone see you, you understand? The child returned with a thick leather folder secured with a gold coin. Under the glow from the oil lamp, Garrick flicked through till she saw it. There, in the back corner of the daily from two weeks ago. Bacchia rise. Beware of a deceptive young woman. Appears of fuller extraction. Silver nose ring. Eyes the color of desert dates. Garrick folded the daily four times and placed it in her pocket. She recalled what she saw when Kosi claimed her that time. Poro and the stone. Garrick had crossed the desert multiple times and found no community as loving as her clan. What she remembered of home was impossible, even by the standards of what existed today. Buried underground, yet they still saw the sky. The earth was dark as blood and vegetation covered everything. The mounds where they lived covered in vines of the same green as blanched vegetables quickly dipped in cold water. Garrett grew up seeing women summon rain with their hands, clapping thunder and lightning with the soles of their feet. They woke each other up with, with water to the face, soft as a drizzle. When she was still home and the sister who had left years ago would return, there was always a feast. In preparation, the entire area would be covered in a low fog. The sister would return and it would often be someone that Garrick had never met before. Those were the best returns, for they always had countless stories to tell. This way, even before she left home, Garrick was always connected to the outside world. Once she stepped into that world, she saw it all. Garrick had seen empires rise and collapse, had stayed uneven when the humans had turned against the Bakishi after learning to harness their gifts. Kochi grabbed Bakirshi suddenly and without reason, leaving an image behind. Garrick knew now that what she had seen was telling her that it was time to go home, but she still was not ready to show her face to her clan. Centuries ago, when Pora had helped her leave, without the blessings of the elders, in pursuit of her selfish desire to see the world, Garrick had sworn never to return. She had been too hungry to see the outside world. She could not have waited politely for a thousand years until the elder granted her leave in her turn. Could they welcome her back? Could she bring herself to ask? Garrick shied away from the question. At least she knew there'd be a place for the child sleeping soundly on the low bed. Garrick had called on Poro's help before, in so-so when the family accused her of dark magic. The entire village had put her on trial. Of course Garrick had failed. They couldn't drown her. Poro had saved her and treated her to return. But Garrick had not burned out her wanderlust and she knew the elder still hadn't forgiven her. The undiable she could carry a grudge for eons. They had few other things to do. Now Garrick laid down on the earthen floor. She closed her eyes and let herself be overwhelmed by the waters that made her. Slowly, her heart stilled and then began tapping out a message in its beat. The floating piler was still one of the most impressive machines to emerge from Saleh. It looked like a giant double-headed axe. The great blades rotated to their sharp tip, their many colors shining like a barbet in flight, its yellow breast incandescent. As they bordered through the west wing, Garrick spared a thought to Nayi walking on a vessel like this. Every single thing was weighed before it was boarded, to balance the equilibrium between eastern and western compartments. From the long window of the Gerido suite, Garrett could easily spot the control room and the cracking ball of lightning fire that propelled this flying axe. They would get to their destination in the early hours of the next morning. Garrett laid down fried millet flour and dried black plums for the juridos to snack on while she and Shu wondered. Tell me, Shu, are you not scared? Garrett asked, 
looking out one of the small windows. The earth was thousands of feet below. She gave a small laugh. Baba and Mame bought me up on one of these before. This time, it was Shu's turn to tell a story. My Baba sells things and Mama helps him, Shu pouted. But they didn't let me learn the family trade. All my friends are already learning, but Mama says, just soon enough. You need a trade to survive, Garrick said. Why not cooking? The kitchen gets too hot, Shu groaned. Come and see my best place. Shu ran ahead of Garrick and she followed her to a reading room. It was empty save for the leather-bound books that lined one wall. The other had a large window that gave a better view of the savannah below them. You know there are animals down here, Shu said, pointing downwards. Garrick nodded, slightly distracted. Someone had entered the room. She glanced over her left shoulder and saw the midnight blue veils, the dark glasses. The person was mostly covered, leaving only the right arm exposed, showing off an elaborate scarification of three parallel lines and three half-circles. Garrick's hand immediately reached for Shu, tightening on her shoulder. Kindly cooperate with us, the one said, as three more veiled men came into the room. We come from Ladaj, the name hung in the air. What does Ladaj want with me? Garrick spun, her hand still on Shu. There were four of them this time, and even though she couldn't see their eyes, Garrick saw them focusing on her. He wants to know why you kidnapped his daughter. Garrick glanced down at Shu and saw that she was no longer there. She blinked hard, then tightened her grip. She was there. They just couldn't see her. That has nothing to do with me, Garrick said. She tried to be subtle as she pushed Shu away. Somewhere deep within her, a rhythm changed, tapping out a furious beat. Just come quietly, one of them said. They were closing in on her. Please, Garrick lifted her arms like she had done weeks ago, hoping that Shu had managed to escape. They were closer now. One of them grabbed her arm and then jumped back, screaming, holding a charred hand. Garrick knew they would not risk shooting a firearm here. She flicked her fingers and a blade of water arced through the air. It pushed the men back, wrapped around their bodies, worked itself into their nostrils and gasping open mouths. When they were unconscious, Garrick rushed out of the reading room, shutting the door behind her. She found Shu standing quietly in front of the Juridos' private room. Garrick took the child's small hand in hers and left the suite after a quick excuse to the Juridos. They hid out in a dark maintenance closet for the rest of the trip and were the first to leave the parlor when it landed the next morning. The men did not reappear. Under the sheer nut tree in the outskirts of Alura, Garrick lay down in the pretense of sleep. In the still of the night, the earth shifted and her heartbeat accelerated with a message. Come home. We are south of Vevan, a night's journey by Pilar, seven weeks on foot. We will prepare for the child. No mention of facing the elders for a rash decision Garrett took centuries ago. Not a word on our homecoming. They only made reference to the child. Of course they would love Shu. It had been a long time since the clan had seen a child. Garrett imagined her sister spoiling her. She couldn't picture was how much home might have changed. Her clan was loving, but it could be stern when needed, just like a mother. Still, she had a poro, one ally against the elders. Even if they were still angry, even if her sisters had not yet forgiven her, there would be one person who would welcome her home. Welcome back. 
The things that drive us away from home and the things that bring us back are complicated. And I really enjoyed the journey here, not just of exploring the world and meeting the characters, but getting their backstory and finding how they struggle with the world that they live in and the ties that bind them to the past and can give them an opportunity for a future. What caught your attention about this story? Talk to me about it by email or on Twitter or wherever it is that you do your short fiction discussions and make sure that I hear about it. And also make sure you check out the rest of this week's content. As I mentioned, this is the Nigeria special issue we've released today, so there's more fiction and poetry waiting for you. We've also got great articles and reviews lined up for this week. One last note before you go. Strange Horizons is an entirely volunteer organization, supported by donations from our fans and community. If you'd like to support us, check out the donate link on the website. That's all for this week. Until next time, stay strange.